The Outlet. The Talk of Southland. Welcome to The Outlet. I'm your host, Brent Harbour. Coming up on today's podcast, I'll be chatting with Angus Hendry. Now, Angus is the lead in the Highland Dance Company in New Zealand's Heart of the Highland Show that is coming to the Tiano Tartan Festival this Easter. He's a former New Zealand champion and a solo SEAL recipient and the only male currently competing at senior level in New Zealand. Plus, we'll catch up with Flora Gilkerson, the CEO of Hospice Southland. We'll talk about their hospice shops, the service that hospice provides for the community and how you can donate online. But first, let's have a look at local news from the Southland app. The Outlet, local news. Here's some of the stories this week you can read more about on your Southland app. The High Court has upheld a Southland District Council decision to grant New Brighton Collieries Limited access to council-owned forestry land near Ohio for coal exploration. Milford Opportunities Board's inaugural chair, Dr Keith Turner, is to retire at the end of this month after five years chairing the project. And vandals have once again struck the Stirling Point viewing platform in Bluff, causing $10,000 in damage just 24 hours after repairs to an earlier attack had been completed. And you can read these stories and get the latest news by turning on notifications in your Southland app. The Outlet, from your Southland app. Thanks for listening to The Outlet. The Tiano Community Market is held once a month at the Real Journeys Fiordland Community Event Centre. Now they have an amazing range of local stallholders selling a wide range of products from knitting, honey, jewellery, handmade soaps, plus lots more. It's on this Saturday the 11th of March. Angus Hendry is the lead in the Highland Dance Company of New Zealand's Heart of the Highland Show that is coming to the Tiano Tartan Festival this Easter. He's a former New Zealand champion and a solo SEAL recipient and the only male currently competing at senior level in New Zealand. G'day Angus, how are you? I'm doing alright, thanks Brent. Now, you're a former New Zealand champion, but you're the only male currently competing at senior level in Highland Dancing in New Zealand. So tell me about when you first became interested in Highland dancing and, and who inspired you? Yeah, I suppose my, um, my journey into Highland dancing started um, probably the same way as, as any young male that was in it, which is to say my older sister was already doing it. Um, and I happened to be in the, in the corner of the room making a nuisance of myself, you know, annoying and pestering my mother. So um, her, my sister's teacher said, um, why doesn't he try it as well? And and that was kind of how I got into it. But certainly I wasn't the only male at the time. There was plenty of other boys around my own age, but also older males to um, kind of look up to. There was some really, really top male dancers. And there have and always been top male dancers in New Zealand. I wasn't lacking for role models. We just seemed to be in a, in a peculiar um, kind of stage right now where I'm the only one at the moment. It's great that you're doing so well and, and representing, which is awesome. Now, last year you obtained your solo seal, which is the highest examination on it in New Zealand. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? Yeah, sure. I know um, solo seal might be familiar to some other people who do different dance forms like ballet, but it's it's quite different in Highland. It, basically, it consists of doing four solo dances in a theatre in front of a panel of examiners and you need to pass all four of the dancers in order to attain your solo seal and they say that the standard that you are aiming for is is perfection and uh, the, the unfortunate case is that if you 
fail any of the dances, you go back to square one and you try again next year. You get one chance per year. If you get one wrong, that's it. Doesn't matter what you've done in the previous ones. That's it. That's, that's tough luck. I I can tell you myself. I uh, I passed three dances on three different occasions, but not the fourth, and uh, went went back to the beginning. So I um. Passed it last year on lucky attempt number five. Boy, that's, that's pretty tough, isn't it, to to mark it like that? Yeah, um, it's a bit of a a bit of a status, a bit of a gauntlet. I think is probably a good way of describing it. But um, yeah, it, it's certainly it's it's not a compulsory exam by by any means. It's um, something a bit of an extra challenge for anyone that wants to have a crack at. Oh, well, that's brilliant. Well, congratulations for doing that, Crikey. I'd still be going years down the track, I think. Well, I thought, oh, I, I certainly, I didn't think I was going to get there at, <laughs> at some stages. Now, you're one of the leads in the Highland Dance Company of New Zealand's Heart of the Highland Show. So uh, that's been performed as part of the Tiano Tartan Festival in Easter. How are the rehearsals going? Are they underway? Because it's the New Zealand Dance Company, we're, we're spread out all over the country, which is what makes it quite exciting because it gives you a quite a wide talent pool but I can tell you our first full major practice is happening this weekend in Blenheim um, we'll be getting together but the the expectation is that you've done some work on your own uh, you you show up and you should already have done a, re- a reasonable bit of the leg work and the the time together is more about kind of put it, putting it together the whole package rather than learning or honing the, the actual dance itself. So do they send out your individual bits and then you start working on it then, as you say, it's just a matter of perfecting it when you get together? Is that how it works? Yeah, correct. So um, often there might be a, a, a demonstration video that the choreographers have, have put together um, and you kind of learn off that and then it's just a matter of refining and spacing out between you because um, Highland dancing, and it's uh, the form that we're used to, is actually a solo activity. So it's... Um, it can be. It's it's a little bit strange for us at first, um, getting used to doing it with others on stage. But that's what makes it quite fun. So you end up spending most of your time kind of working out spacing and um, how to how to share the stage with the others. Uh, that's right. Because I saw an interview that you did where basically it is it's every person for themselves when you're competing, right? Yeah, that's that's correct. You're um you're up there on your own. Yeah, it's every man or woman for themselves. So it's actually quite nice doing a, a, something that's team-based. Now, you're a lawyer, so you must be pretty busy. How much rehearsal do you have to do? Do you do it every day? Um, I, I have to work on my fitness um, for the most part, probably four four times a week or so. In terms of the actual dancing, I'm a bit older now, which means I've got a few... I've got a few long, long-term kind of niggles and and things like that. So it becomes more about managing your your body and your workload while still doing the actual dancing. And I've got twenty-four years of dancing experience to fall back on. So in terms of working on the actual technique and execution of things, I kind of back myself to do that at this point. And it's more about learning and looking after yourself. So what is your favourite part of Highland dancing? What's what something you absolutely love to do? I love doing choreography. I think I love the the way that dancing set up is we've got kind of a whole pool of movements and there's some base rules around how you're allowed to use them. But outside of that, you can kind of combine them in any way you like to come up with anything. And that's just at competition level. When you're doing performances, you know, for 
stage, you know, for stages and for audiences, you can combine whatever you like. And I really enjoy the the freedom that you have to kind of be a little bit inventive and a bit creative, which maybe it's because I'm a lawyer and it gives me a little bit more freedom than I usually have. Now, is there anything that you do in Highland Dancing you think, you know what, I can do without that? I could do, I could do without all the heavy gear sometimes. If you've, if you've never worn a kilt before, you might be surprised to learn they're actually quite heavy and you've got to be ju- jumping around quite a bit and the hard part is you're supposed to look like you're having fun and it's easy. So I could do, certainly, you know, you don't practice in a kilt on your week-in and week-out practices, so I I think that's probably the, the main thing that comes to mind is I wouldn't mind dropping, you know, a, a kg or two of clothing when you're trying to do some exercise. Well, actually, I mean, that is the thing you don't think about it when you, when you sit, because it is a sport, Highland Dancing, and any other sport, they they create all this gear that's supposed to be lightweight and, and flexible and everything, but you don't have that choice, do you? You see, like, you know, Olympic-level swimmers, and they've got, you know, the, the lightest, most skin-tight material so they can go as fast as possible. Meanwhile, we've got all these extra extra attachments and buckles and kilts and jackets and the socks are made of wool. So it's a little bit warm as well. So heavy and warm. Yeah, well, it's meant for Scotland, which I've been to Scotland a few times and in summer it often doesn't get above 15 degrees. <laughs> so you can understand. That's cool. Oh, well, Angus, it's been so great talking to you. Thank you so much. No, thanks thanks for having me, Brent. It's been great to have a chat. And you can find out more about the Tiano Tartan Festival on your Southland app. Local news, sport and information. The Outlet. Thanks for listening to The Outlet. Monday's at the Moonshine Museum Gore. So every Monday night in March at 8.30, the museum will host an event to help you dip your toes into their local history and yours. Numbers are strictly limited, and you can find out more and register by clicking the Events Attractions button on your Southland app. Flora Gilkerson is the CEO of Hospice Southland. So we're going to talk about their hospice shops, the service that hospice provides for the community, and how you can donate online. Now, you've just moved to a new location for one of your hospice shops on North Road, haven't you? That's right, yes. We were at Windsor, and we decided that that was probably just a bit too close to the big Yarrow Street shop, which is opening another shop just next door, so it's going to be the Yarrow Street Emporium. And so we've gone down North Road and so far it's working very well. People are coming in, shopping and dropping things off for us to sell. So it's been a good move. How many shops do you have, hospice shops in Southland and and how important are they in the financial sustainability for Hospice Southland? Well, we have um, seven shops and shortly to be eight when we open our other one. So we've got them up in Tianau, we've got one in Queenstown, one in Gore, we've got one in Winton and we'll have four in Invercargill. Now, how important these are, they are they're run by volunteers. We have a staff member or a couple of staff members. Otherwise, we run them with volunteers and we just couldn't do it without that. Per patient, if we talk about per patient, it costs us about 14800 per patient. And the government funds us 6200 So that's a really, really big gap. And so that's um, we fill some of it with our shops, the, probably the majority, and then we get some grant funding. People are very kind in donating, either their time or their money. And then um, people also give us bequests. 
and you never know when those are coming in and it's always so wonderful when we get a bequest. You do a wonderful job at hospice. Just remind us a little bit about some of the things that hospice does do for people. Well, when you first come into hospice or come onto the books, and that's because you will have a diagnosis that's life-limiting. So you might be able to, the GPs and your uh, hospital might be able to extend it a little bit, but you're not going to get better from that diagnosis. So then you can come onto hospice, and it's usually in about the last year of your life. And so we have um, a day hospice program. So people come in, we do a wonderful day once a week. They get a beautiful meal, they get an activity, like we might have the Invercargill rock and roll group coming and doing dancing, or they're planting out the garden, all sorts of things. We have our community nurses that drive out way, way up into the back blocks or into, you know, into town. And then we have our IPU unit, which is our inpatient unit. We have a a full-time cook there so that we have, you know, they have, if, if they're up to eating, if they're not, then we give them whatever it is they want. We had one old fella one time, I happened to be on cooking and um, and so somebody must have said, oh, the boss is cooking this morning. So he was in for respite care and so he wanted porridge with brown sugar and cream, two eggs fried sunny side up on toast and bacon. And then he wanted toast, one with jam, one with, I think it was Marmite, um, and then he wanted um, Milo with a sugar. And so I was very happy to do that for him. And I was surprised he did eat it all. <laughs> so we do whatever what, whatever that they need. Um, but when they come in, they are often very sick, very complex. We have a wonderful range of doctors that can um, treat their, their pain and get them to manage that pain so that sometimes they can go back out home because they've got their pain under control or as much as possible. And then we've got our nursing team, which is really, they are just fabulous. Everybody says that. And one of the reasons about that is that, you know, when you go into hospital, you just get, mostly they look after the physical side of you. But in our palliative care, we don't. We look at the whole person. So we look at the physical side and we try and reduce the pain there. We look at the emotional side or what might be called psychosocial. And so that's dealing with the family and um, the patient. It might be that they want to write their life story. So we'll get somebody in to write that for them. Uh, it might be that they, you know, that the family are having a lot of grief and that so we do some counselling with them. Then we um, also look at the family, how we can work with the family. And then we look at the spiritual side because people might not um, have an actual religion, but everybody's got a spirit. And the Māori call that the Wairua and it's around, it's there. And often that's the last to leave. And so we look after that too. So when we talk about holistic care, it is the whole person. And I think that's really what people appreciate when they come in. They're a bit nervous, um, but then when they see that it's everything being taken care of for them. And you do a lot of wraparound for the family as well, because you know that that's very important part of it too, isn't it? Oh yes, that's right. Yes, so um, it's uh, introducing the family to hospice and answering any questions. It might be helping to arrange somebody who's come into a hospice, but they just to get their uh, medications settled. And then they will maybe be going out to age residential care. Now, that's a huge lot of uh, things for a family to organise. So we'll help and assist with that. 
Uh, then there's um, after the bereavement, we have remembrance services, we have coffee groups, we have a, a session called Journey with Grief, and so about 10 people will come on that and over six weeks they can work through their grief. We send them letters um, after a year just to see how they're going and if they still need our help and service then we're there for them. Oh, it's just it's so brilliant. Now you've recently had your street appeal. Are you finding it a little bit more difficult now that people don't always carry cash on them? Oh yes, um, although people have been very good this year. We didn't have very many FPOS machines around. We'll probably have more next year. But people have been very generous and we know how tough it is um, out there. And so we did make slightly more this year than we have than we did last year. We had a bigger lot and um, a, a bigger coverage. And it's our volunteers, you know, out at Winton, our volunteers were there and they said, we're not going to shut up shop at four o'clock. We're going through till six o'clock because that's when people come. They were sitting outside the supermarket and they got almost, um, oh, another $500 from just outside Winton for that next two hours. It's so generous of people. We are going to have to have a look at um, at our fundraising because so much more is going online. And, uh, and but we still want to have that personal connection with people. And so that's what we, we are really going to have to have another look at and just see what's the best way of doing it. Well, people can donate if they go to the website, right? That's right, yes. And they can also donate through Give a Little. Give a Little is, quite, um, is, is a very easy way of donating. So they, if they want to, they can donate through the website or they can come in and donate. They can go to the shops. On all, all our shops have got new tills and there's a donate button. So they can donate through there using their, um, you know, using the shop's FPOS um, machine. So there are a variety of ways for them to donate. Well, can I just thank you and all your staff for the wonderful job that you do do, and thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, well, that's a pleasure. And as I say, look, without our volunteers who who donate money, who donate their time, who donate things for the shops to be able to sell, we've got a florist that comes in every week and makes beautiful arrangements. So just thanks. It's just thank you to everybody in our community for being so, so generous. The Outlet from your Southland app. The Outlet is produced and published by the Southland app and supported with funding from the New Zealand Public Interest Journalism Fund. The Outlet is available by pressing the Outlet button on your Southland app and wherever you get your podcasts.